and, and empowered his uh, church. Now we look at how these first <coughs> believers stepped out to do the work that the Lord had given them to do. These are the pioneers of our faith. Now, by human reasoning, when you look at what these simple, uh, uh, small group of uh, believers were up against, it appeared that everything was against them. Jews and Gentiles alike. And the 12 dis disciples by human eyes were literally the most powerless people in this world. And in fact, here we have this insane example of a common fisherman, Peter, standing up and giving a speech to apparently thousands of people. Well, given all of those all those odds stacked up against them, what would ever inspire or encourage them? Well, many things in the scripture and through this whole Bible, but what I want to focus on for today from this text is this one beautiful but simple truth. God has a plan. God has a plan. Peter's saying many things here, but for us today, the one that we're going to focus on is that God has a plan. And so to unpack why this is good news for us, I want to look at three things that, that the scripture tells us about God's plan. And they're these. Number one, it's an unchanging plan. Number two, it's centered around Jesus's death and rising to new life. And it brings hope to a hopeless world. So once again, why does the, the news that God has a plan for us, why is that good news for us? Well, this scripture says three reasons why. It's an unchanging plan. It's centered around Christ's death and rising to new life. And it brings hope to a hopeless world. So the first thing, God's plan is unchanging. Why this long reading? Why not just chop this up? Well, one of the most striking things about this speech, if you read it as a whole, and, we, and I even kind of chopped it up too, but if you read this first part as an entire whole, one of the most striking things that you'll see are the numerous references that Peter makes to the Old Testament. He quotes from the prophet Joel, who wrote at least 400 years before Christ. And he interprets what has just happened on Pentecost through the lens of this Joel prophecy, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That which is promised is here. Then he quotes even more Old Testament passages, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, to explain why this Holy Spirit was poured out. Jesus, the Messiah, had come to earth. He performed miracles. He was crucified, but he was raised to life just as the Old Testament had always said. You see, the cross and Jesus wasn't God's plan B when plan A of keeping the law didn't work out. God didn't say, well, I thought that they could measure up to, to it, but I guess I got to grade, grade them on a curve. I guess I got to bail them out. It was always his plan. Look at verse 22, listen to what Peter says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of uh, Nazareth, a man arrested, but 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, right? He's a holy man of God. This Jesus delivered up according to what? To the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, what Peter's telling us here is that it wasn't just that God knew the future, right? In some mysterious way, and okay, here's a little ca caveat, okay? My email's on the website, and if you have any questions, because I admit when I say things like, at one hand, um, uh, uh, God foreknew and foreordained all of these things to accomplish, but yet he did it through the free actions of lawless men. Those two seem to be in tension and they seem to counteract each other and can't be, be reconciled. And if that's what you're thinking, you're right. <laughs> as far as the human mind can actually climb, the interaction between uh, our free choices, if you will, we've got to define that word free, right? You can tell us to be, be a lawyer, you have to define every term, right? But this, but you know, whatever it means to be free, but yet God's still sovereign over it, that opens up a whole can of really good questions we should, should ask about the, the importance of our choices. All that being said, my simple, quick answer is that God is so sovereign that he works through our free choices. Now, if you're scratching your head, join the club. I'm scratching my head all the time over this. Email me. I'll spend hours explaining it to, to you. So you email me at your own arrow. Okay. But the main point is this. What, what Peter wants us to see is that God's plan has always been in place. And it is unchanging. I don't know about you, but if you've ever followed a leader who begins with one plan and you get all excited about that and then things start to get rough and they start to kind of go off the rails a little bit and then they immediately change their mind and say, no, we're going to go, go this way. Like, all right, well, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and you go that way and then you go this way and then you go that way. It's exhausting. And if we're honest... It feels like that's what God does, doesn't it? Because if we're honest, when we look around our world, it doesn't look like God has a plan. Or if he does have a plan, it's a terrible plan. It seems that Satan and the lawless men, as our scripture called them, are winning. I don't need to look at my own life. Those I love getting sick and dying. In my own heart, these persistent sins which seem to win out most of the time, though I've battled them for years. And then I look outside of myself and I look at the world, crimes against the weak, etc., 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 etc. And if we feel this way, imagine how Peter and his fellow disciples felt on Good Friday on that day when Christ was uh, crucified. Seems like God's plan ended up destroying the Messiah, not raising him to power. And one of my favorite the, the, theologians always says, says this. He's like, if you were to somehow transport back in time and knowing what we know now about the cross, if you were to go to the cross there with the three women and 
the Apostle John, they're weeping as they're watching their beloved Jesus Christ suffer and die. And he went up and he put an arm around him and he said, hey, you see that? That's the best thing God's ever done. Isn't that, can't you see the glory? Can't you see the power of his plan? Can't you see the brilliance? What would they rightfully look at you and say? Well, I probably shouldn't say, say that in church. But what they would say is, you're insane. How is this possibly good? How is this possibly part of God's plan that the greatest man to ever live is being destroyed in front of us? But the good news of our scriptures is that God is in control and his plan is unchanging. How many of us, when we look at our lives right now, feel like everything is out of control? And no good could possibly ever come out of all of these things happening. Only pain, only suffering. Well, what we see here is that our Lord Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit, those three are making all things work to the good of those who love and trust our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's even sovereign. He even uses the actions of evil men to accomplish his good purposes. So do you feel like the world's out of control? Do you feel like God is reactive more than proactive? Well, if that's you, like, I'll be honest, like, like it's me from time to time. Peter's speech is good news for us. God has always had a plan. And it's always been a good plan. And it's working itself out to its end as we speak. And he will make it happen for us. He will see his good plan to the end. So that's the first bit of good news why God has a plan is good news for, for us. But here's the second. What is the center? What is the focus of this plan? Hamilton, I've heard you say that it's good, but what does that mean? It's good. Well, it's good in a multitude of ways. But what I want to focus on here is what Peter says, and, and that is at the center of this plan is the death and resurrection of his son for us sinners. Now, if anyone else was to say this, it'd be an incredibly arrogant thing. But for God, it's actually a good thing. You see, the goal of God's plan, while it involves saving us, the goal of his plan is actually to glorify himself. Because if we're honest, the only thing that's worth really worshiping and looking at and emulating and reflecting upon is not the works of man, but the works of God. But here's the crazy part. Here's the part of how he glorifies himself. He glorifies himself not through destroying sinners, but through forgiving us. And not just forgiving us, not just giving a second chance or even a third chance, but he glorifies himself by giving us eternal life with him. You see, Peter numerous times speaks about Christ's resurrection here. Why? Because anyone familiar with the Old Testament, as his listeners were, would know that this was the ultimate promise that God had always been making. This is the great promise to his people. And included in this promise was 
the knowledge that in order for this great resurrection to happen, sin, man's sin, human sin, my sin, your sin must be completely and finally dealt with. And you see, this was the great work of God's plan. Is he's going to come and save us unworthy ones. And the, the beauty of that, the, the rightness of that, it's almost self-evident, right? It's almost self-evident. Just as by, by being a human being, it's kind of written into the world. If you've been reading the papers or looking at the local news at all, you, you've heard about a man named Chris Singleton, right? Uh, uh, Chris um, is the son of an, an Emmanuel AME victim, uh, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, but he was a star athlete as well. He's drafted by, by the Cubs, now he works at the River Dogs front office. But as I noticed sort of th through my news feeds and all of this stuff, he always came with this moniker, right? Chris Singleton, come, drafted by the Cubs, no. Great baseball player, no. Son of shooting victim, some, sometimes, but you know what the number one moniker for him was? The, the guy who forgave the man who killed his mother. And I think we're coming up on what, the sixth year anniversary of this, is that right? And we still can't seem to get enough of this story, not just as a community, but as a nation. There's an entire book being read about the power of, for, of forgiveness from, these, uh, from the families of these victims. Why? Because it is Chris's glory. It's what makes him an example. It's what makes us, us all want to look up to him, that he could do the unthinkable and forgive the man who is, should be his greatest enemy, who robbed him of his beloved but if that's true for, for man, then how much more is that true for God? You see, some of us in this room have forgotten that loving and forgiving sinners is God's greatest glory and joy. Maybe your sin and Satan's lies are telling you that you're the exception to, to this rule. And he does this in one of two, two ways. Either he, and I say, say he, Satan's really kind of a chump, right? Satan really just kind of like adds fuel to, to, to the lies that are already in our hearts. He's a poser, right? Um, but our hearts, along with Satan's encouragement, do this in two ways. Number one, let's just get rid of the rules. These are made up rules. I'm going to live life my own way. Or I, I agree with with the, with the rules. Right. Guilty as charged. God could never love me. But those are lies. Those are lies. And you see here, Peter is telling us the truth. The truth that God's great plan, his great way to glorify himself was to rescue us sinners. But there might be others of us in this room that have never heard this. And maybe like, like me years ago, you assumed that God's main concern, the main way he would glorify himself, was to punish wrongdoing. 
One small step out of line. One bad thought creeps in. And bang, that's it. Judgment. Punishment. But here we have from the very book that, taught, that tells God's story, a very different story, don't we? And also remember who's telling it. Is it the great holy man, Peter? No. It's the sinner, Peter. This is the one who rejected Jesus three times, even though he promised that he would never do that. And, then, and just hours later, he intentionally says, I never knew that man. God's plan is to come and forgive and rescue us. That's the second reason why God's plan is good news to us. But here's the third, and this one gets pointed out, right? If these first two are pointed in towards us, this one gets pointed out to the world. Why? Because the fact that a good God has a good plan for us hopeless sinners is that this plan brings hope to a hopeless world. As uh, many of you know, I'm doing uh, research for a doctor of, of a ministry. Sounds fancy, not as fancy as it sounds. Um, but um, part of my research, I know it's a heavy burden. I have to watch a lot of movies. I know. Thank you for, for your prayers. It's a heavy burden. I will carry on, right? No, but in all honesty, for an essay I'm writing right now, I've got to look at various aspects or, or trends in uh, contemporary culture to find the deep questions, right? You look at the art to find out what are the questions that are really on people's hearts. And we do this so we can show how the gospel actually gives satisfactory answers for the deepest questions of our hearts. And so I've been focusing on one genre that just sticks out, apocalypse movies. And I had no idea. They're sort of, they're, you know, they're, they're the environmental apocalypse movies, the droughts, the floods, the earthquakes. You've got the technological apocalypse, right? Computers and robots take over the world. That one scares me more than any of them, okay? Um, and then you got like the war apocalypse, right? And then you got the pandemics, right? The viruses that can't be stopped. And the zombies, my lord, the zombies. <laughs> that's, its, that's its whole, why, why the fascination with zombies? That's for another essay, right? Okay, but as I'm looking at this, and, and it seems like that as soon as one is cranked out, the appetite for these movies is just endless. Why is that? Well, that there are many reasons, but the one that I want to focus on is because our culture is hopeless. For the future. Now, in one sense, this is good, right? Because our culture has rightfully lost hope and faith in science and in mankind to save us from the ills of this world. And in fact, if you watch these uh, movies very carefully, what you find is most of the, if not all the apocalypses are caused, not by God, but by the failure of mankind. But where that's gone askew is they've transferred this loss of hope and the power of human reason and intelligence to losing hope in everything, in any future. Well, if human intelligence and science have failed us, then nothing can save us. There's no hope. And the fruit of this is, one extent, living for, for the now, right? But if we're really honest, 
and, and we can't help but battle this because we live in this culture, is that it seems like that life has absolutely no point. We can live for ourselves. We can YOLO. We can do all the traveling. We can do all the parasailing. We can do all of that. But at the end of the day, when the high wears off, we're just not existentially satisfied. We just don't have a sense of purpose and meaning and hope in the future. So what we do is we bring ourselves first, yes, but then we take to, to the world this message of, of, of a plan from God that doesn't end in destruction and death and punishment. But for all who call Christ, just cry out to him, Lord, save me. It's open to anyone who says that. We're, we're given a future. Not of eternal death, but, a, but, but of eternal life. Not of eternal sadness, but of eternal joy. Not of eternal loneliness, but eternal communion with him and with all of those that have died in him. All of our true brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, friends, beloved. That's our hope. That's our future. And, and we have the privilege, just like Peter did, to stand up and share this Hope for the future with a hopeless world. As the early church went out, I'm going to end with this. As the early church went out against all odds, it was this story of God's good plan for sinners proven by the resurrection of Christ that they were armed with alone. And these 12 men and countless other women went out into the world and transformed it. Not with their intelligence, not with their cleverness, but with their story and their love. So let us take encouragement this day that God's plan is unchanging, that he glorifies himself through rescuing us sinners, and that he invites us to take this story of hope into a dark and hopeless world and bring real hope and life to those with whom we live, work, play, learn.